I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Achtung, Mehlball. This is a weird one because there was no show on Sunday. It's Thursday. We're coming in your ears as per usual. But because the gra- the game was so shit on Saturday, we've decided to amalgamate the show into one. So let's go. Are we going straight to Harry Warren? Let's go to Harry's one. We've let's done you. Harold Warren. We've had you. Now it's up, Harry. Achtung. Achtung. You are listening to the Real Milval Fan Show. Hello and welcome to the Stoke 365 Bet Fred. Bet365, I think it's actually called, uh, Arena. My name is Harry Warren, not Nick Hart. And, uh, yes, hello and welcome to Acts on Millwall, number 200 and something. Millwall will be playing a 5-2-3 with Bilikowski, Romeo, Hutchinson, Pearson, Cooper with Murray Wallace at left back. Malumbi, Williams, Jeb Wallace, Bradshaw and Mahoney up front. So the up front three will be Wallace, Bradshaw and Mahoney. Yes, you have got that right. Mahoney starts. The subs are still McCarthy, Billy Mitchell, Shane Ferguson, Scalak, Smith and Bob Varson. Thousand Millwall here today. Or just over a thousand. I've come up on the train. Aaron Paul has driven up. Nick Hart has chosen to stay at home, which is his right... And he is married, ladies and gentlemen. That is the main reason I believe that Nick Hart is not here today. We had Tom Jones. Here comes the Delilah that fucking Nick likes so much. He's good. They're laughing. Ha, 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 ha. One Gary Rowley. There's only one Gary Rowley. One Gary Rowley. Well, 
It's uh, half-time, we're now listening to the big sleep at 2020, which obviously Mill will take part in. I'd expect Michael Avery to be silent disco in his way there while looking for the club shop update. Um, but yeah, Millwall have been uh, relatively average. I'd give them a 5 out of 10. The plus point is they're not losing. But, uh, the downside is that they haven't really carved out a lot. Um, it's fin fin gruel to, call, to calm a uh, Nick Hart saying. But other than that, I think realistically to still be nil-nil away from home, it's not too bad. Shows how far away we are from the actual uh, action down here. I've been saying that Lee Gregory's been playing for Stoke. He hasn't. Um, he's on the bench. So uh, a man that looks like Lee Gregory obviously missed the chance earlier on for Stoke. It's been a poor game in truth, but it's the kind of game that if you want to go up or be in the playoffs, you've got to win. Give me all to get beat 1-0. This has been turgid, boring football. If we get a point, it ain't a bad away point, but it ain't been great, I'll be totally honest. The uh, Hopefully it's only a speed up on the route revolution rather than the, uh, the way our teams think that they can set up against us. It's all kicked off. Well, it was a it was a jump for the mill. It's a jump for the ball. It's kicked 22 players on the edge of the box. It's never a red card. When the referee gives it, it's because he's a shit ass. It's nothing. It's another time. It's never a red card. Never anything else. That's the worst decision I've seen in a long time. Full time. 365. 10 man Millwall, hang on. You get a point and takes you into the top six. One Gary Rowett, the Lions fan sing. Achtung, Millwall. That was just minutes of pure genius brilliance from Harold Warren playing <laughs> shit turgidness of that game. Um, Stoke nil, Millwall nil. Let me introduce. Our panel for this evening. My name's Aaron Paul, of course, off stage, off screen, and all that bollocks. Uh, joining me, the right reverend, Mr. Nick Hart, available for all your functions, families, uh, weddings, funerals. Uh, Mike, Michael Avery, wasn't it mitzvahs, both bar and bat? That's correct. We're doing them as well. <laughs> you name it, he has got an outfit for it. It's Nick Hart. Dearly beloved, welcome to the show. Um, I couldn't go to Stoke, but I feel like I've lived it after all these reports we've had so far. There you have it. And uh, our man doing his bit for Fathers for Justice every week, it's young Michael Avery. <laughs> also known as the president of the Alan Dunn fan club. Dunny R Us. Right, let's look back. Well, let's look back at the game. Yeah. Um, Stoke nil, Millwall nil. It was interesting. It was very windy. I was yeah. there. It was windy. It was cold. Um, Sean Williams, of course, sent off as Millwall stretched the away run just a bit longer to six games with a nil-nil draw at Stoke. Look, I didn't expect a classic. I was a bit shocked when I got that game. I was like, Ugh. you know, like, come on, man. Sort me out with some goals. But it was always going to be one of them ones. Can you do it on the proverbial cold, wet Saturday afternoon at Stoke? Yeah. I mean, I, I followed it by Twitter, which sounds like probably the best way to have um, followed proceedings up there. So I think I had a be the best deal. I had the best time out of it, or really, from what I've gathered of, of the game itself. I, I mean, my take on it, obviously, I'm just going it purely as a result because not having been there, I mean, you were there, Aaron. Did you go, Mike? Did you did, did you get up there to Stoke? No, I, did, I, I didn't brave it. I didn't brave it. I, I preempted that it would be as it was, so decided I may have to leave that one. 
But I mean, just listening to Harry and, and listening to Aaron's take on it, um, this is one of those what I call result fixtures. It's not really about what happened or, you know, the, the, the performance particularly. It's just one more point in, uh, hopefully, um, a season that still has, has a lot of promise um, in front of us. So, you know, following it via social media, um, I gathered it was a dreary affair, but it really is more about taking away of a, a point from a cliche, a difficult place to go, isn't it, Stoke? I, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I consider that two points dropped, you know that. I think a year ago we might have said, yeah, that's a point game for Millwall, but no, that's two points dropped because at the end of the day, Stoke are the ones that are fighting down there. In fact, that point got them out of the relegation zone. Yeah, now I think Barnsley have dropped out, Wigan, Wigan have dropped in, uh, and Stoke are 21st now, but for me, it just it just wasn't enough, considering the brilliant form Millwall have been in. It just wasn't enough. I mean, Stoke created very little in terms of concrete chances. Um, Sam Vokes, a couple of chances. But I'll be honest with you, the first chance that Millwall, the concrete one, was Tom Bradshaw dancing through and 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 struck the struck the ball just very, very low. And mm. the keeper, I don't know how, he just stuck out a paw and managed to, to claw it away. But it was a fabulous save from the keeper. I thought that was going in. Um, Romeo had a save off of, of Butland as well. But, you know... It was one of them ones. The game was crying out for Ben Thompson. Crying out for Ben Thompson. You know, just a bit of quality in sort of midfield slash in 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 that sort of final third in in the ten position. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the the other take out of it would be we'll come on to the sending off perhaps for Sean Williams, but the the, the slightly ragged um, edges around the, the the squad are starting to show through. I mean, Ben Thompson being out injured, you've mentioned. Ryan Leonard, I was reading about him, may, you know, trying to um, step up his recovery. We've now lost uh, Sean Williams and we are down to the bare bones, aren't we? I mean, we've, we've, we've got Malumbi and Billy Mitchell looking like a realistic midfield on Saturday unless, unless deals can be done very, very quickly. Achtung, Achtung. You are listening to the Real Millwall Fan Show. All right, well, this is a stop press. Um, welcome on the show, Harry. Um, we were talking on last night's recording about the, 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 the kind of threadbare look at the midfield. And then today's breaking news is um, the signing of Ryan Woods on loan to the end of the season. Yes. Like the look of this boy, Harry? I mean, I, I don't know much about him, but I'm reading only good things about him online. Yeah, he's in a couple of years ago, so um, in, in the championship. And he went for over a million quid at the time. I remember him playing quite well against us when Williams scored um, in the first minute against them. Sort of the madcap run towards the playoffs. Right. So, um, yeah, so he, he's a pretty decent operator, defensive midfielder. Bit hard to miss him with his bright ginger hair. So, um, yeah, it'll be, <laughs> be interesting to see whether or not he kills off. Because when once all the uh, once all the midfielders are fit, and if we do like the look of him and want to keep him eventually, I know it's only a loan, but. I mean, I don't think he's fancy that Stoke, that's why we've got him. And he yeah. was a railway signing at Stoke. I'm presuming he's a loan with the idea to buy him, maybe, depending. But I'm sure that's fees. I'm presuming Stoke would want quite a bit of money for him if, if that's the case. But there we go. Yeah, I mean, he's. Um, I, I mean, I. I, I... I'm only reading decent stuff about him online, so I, I don't know the player particularly. It certainly does solve a bit of a problem because until this news broke this morning, we were looking at Billy Mitchell and um, Jason Malumbi in the middle, which looked a little bit threadbare, I thought. Yeah, it would have been threadbare. I mean, I, I mean, the only thing that we could say is that if Mitchell did take his chance, you know, what a story that would have been. But 
I mean, we're still left with only Billy Mitchell on the bench for the next couple of games. He will presumably um, get a chance because I don't think Ryan would will necessarily, if he signs today at midday, I don't really know how it works in terms of um, before midday. As the hooter, the Ryan, Ryan Woods hooter goes off. Um, yeah, the, uh, basically, um, I think that Shaw will get a chance, but it will be probably in the FA Cup. Or yeah. he might play tomorrow and Woods might come on because, he, you, you know, he'll be... He, I don't know any of the players at Millwall he would have played with in the past, but I'm going to guess it's near up zero if one. And yeah. to play with 11 complete strangers in a game that, let's be honest, it does matter because... Of, at Millwall, we're not a million miles away from the playoffs. We know, I know it's more than we could ever have dreamed of, but now you've got the opportunity. It shows ambition to go and get Woods. For me, it shows a bit of ambition that maybe in the past the club's lacked when it's been in positions to power through, if you know what I mean, to go Absolutely. to the next step. The ginger, the ginger Perlo is known as, apparently. So um, just reading the WhatsApp group as we're talking, uh, Mike. Hayden says he's a quality signing, very much a ball-playing central midfielder. Will be good to watch. So it's going to be an interesting um, team selection tomorrow. Then, in that case, would you, would you start him tomorrow, Harry? Would you would you leave him on the bench? How would you play tomorrow? Um, I probably would give Mitchell a chance. I mean, we didn't start particularly well against um, Luton at home, um, but I would give I would give Mitchell a chance just for the boys' confidence. And I mean, if it's going awfully wrong, I'd rather have the opportunity to change him to Woods. Rather than starting Woods, I mean, I don't know how match fit Woods is because presumably Woods will have to be substituted at some point yeah. because match fitness is completely different. But um, we, we can only hope we put on a better display than what we did against um, Reading at Reading earlier on in the season because that was one of that was Rowett's defeat um, away from home. So uh, presumably he's learnt lessons from that, and maybe maybe Woods is going to play straight from the start and deal with deal with their. Um, They've got a team called John Smith, who's a uh, uh, Swift, rather not Smith, Swift, yeah. and uh, he's pretty decent. So we'll have to have to do a bit of a John in, but hopefully in route we trust, and uh, the route revolution will take the next step with uh, Ryan Woods. Absolutely. Just just to close out, I'm just reading the the uh, the Wikipedia article about him. Um, in 2015, he spoke to 442 magazine. They they quote him as being a player with an ability to play a range of passes as well as creating space for himself in the middle. Uh, manager at the time, Mickey Madden, so he's the first player on the training pitch in the last one off. A terrific kid with unbelievable ability. So, um, it's going to be an interesting game on Saturday, Harry, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, as I, as I said, he was voted Championship Player of the Year and he went to Stoke and it just didn't seem to work out for him for whatever reason. Maybe he's a, obviously a London boy, I'm guessing, so maybe it didn't work for him up north in the bet 365, as I wrongly called it. Um, so yeah, he uh, he's got he's got a kind of you know he's got a bit of a George Savile esque quality in terms of story that he's coming here all right on loan, but maybe to try and rebuild his career. And we always tend to you know your career's at a crossroads. Yeah. You either have to rebuild it or you you keep going further and further down. And he's you know coming into a group that seemingly is is Neil Harris's misfits now being sprinkled with some. With some nice very icing on top yeah. of the cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic stuff. That's the end of this stop press insert into last night's recording. Big thank you to Harry for taking time out of the production line to talk to us. Thanks a lot, Harry. No worries, mate. Achtung, Milbal. 
we can talk about the the small squad that Neil Harris bequeathed us, but um, I think moments like this, you start to see that um, we really are punching above our weight. I mean, look, make, make no make no mistake. You know, Millwall aren't Nottingham Forest stockpiling players left, right, and centre, and you know it's not going to happen because you know the finances won't allow it to happen. I don't think the club want to run in that sort of fashion, but I think there is a lot more that can be done in the loan market. I think obviously we've seen with with um, Malumbi, especially mm. you know that that there are some gems to be had on loan. Um, it, I, it would be nice to see the club do a bit in the loan market and really give Gary that extra maybe two or three options in terms of Woods as well. He's not really a goal scoring midfielder. He's he's someone who's one of them midfielders that can play along the back four. He can play at fullback and he can play holding mid midfield. So. If, if people are expecting him to come in and, and become this sort of um, this sort of uh, Raquel mate, if you like, of, of the championship, yeah, it's it's not going to happen. It's really not going to happen. I just think I still think Ben Thompson is one of the best, if not the best, number ten in in the championship. I think he's an absolutely fantastic player, and, and when he comes back, it's a cliche in the January transfer window, but it'll be like a new signing. Yeah, no, I, I, I take that point. I, I think, um, I mean, obviously, first things first, uh, Reading looms on Saturday. We are certainly without uh, Sean Williams for one game. We've appealed, I think, the the sending off, um, rightly or wrongly. I mean, I've only gone by what, what I've seen on, on the, uh, the highlights um, YouTube um, reels that they show. Um, you can see an argument for, for the red card, and you can see maybe the, the, the club's uh, viewpoint, it wasn't intentional, it wasn't malicious, and maybe that will be reduced down to one. I, don't, I always think a bit of a long shot. I mean, we don't tend to have great track records in overturning <laughs> appeals. So, yeah, right. you know, I think we're in, we've got a plan for a three-game stretch. We do need to make some business quickly. And like you say, there's a lot of people saying about Billy Mitchell, and it's quite lucky that, to a point, Harry's not on this call, because Harry would probably be using his John Marquez example and his Sid Nelson example of, you know, not giving these young players time. With Mitchell, as you say, Nick, he's obviously showed showed he has the ability. And I, I believe against uh, Newport, everyone was saying, you know, Harry was probably the better player in the first half out of both sides. So he, he's obviously shown he does have that talent. Um, like you say, whether he can transfer it over to the championship. But do you think that Rowett would be willing to sort of give him that chance? You know, we all say that youngsters need the experience and the only way to get experience is to give them the chance. But, I mean, Redding's another potential banana skin. We never seem to always particularly well against them, do we? I suppose if, unless we make a signing tomorrow, we're recording this show uh, Thursday night, listeners, so that gives basically tomorrow, Friday, to get the the deal done and, you know, the the, the chap's going to be walking straight into the team on on Saturday, which um, a good player can do, but it's not an ideal situation. Then Billy Mitchell's in the frame, whether whether he's, you know, (laughs) whatever the rights and wrongs of it, that's that's where he's at. And um, I He's going to have to be. Um, it's, it's sink or swim time in some ways because, as 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 um, interesting as it was to see him play against Newport, it was an FA Cup game. It was a fairly relaxed early afternoon kickoff just after lunch. This is going to be the real deal. This is what this is what we pay Gary Rowett to do to manage these yeah. situations. It's, this is the proof mm-hmm. of the pudding, isn't it? Hundred percent. Didn't he? Um, didn't he feature in the League Cup as well just earlier on in the season as well? Did Maybe. I, 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 it's, it's still scant experience, um, but circumstances demand it. So, you know, I, I, unless something happens tomorrow, it's going to be Billy Mitchell because there's no other, nobody else. I, I, I'd sooner see Billy Mitchell than Shane Ferguson being played out of position to start. I mean, that does mm. give you the option of bringing in the more experienced man, an international, I know, but he's a left-sided man normally. 
So perhaps that's an option to go to if things really don't work out well on Saturday. Uh, and in fairness mm-hmm. to Rowett, it, it does show um, a willingness to make changes when circumstances, you know, uh, require it early in the game. So it's going to be an interesting starting 11 for Saturday. It is uh, indeed. I mean, with Reading as well, you look at them, they they are a side who have, have sort of completely changed since Mark Bowen took over. He was um, he was their director of football and then appointed himself when um, when Jose Gomez was binned off. Um, and, and everyone sort of looked at him and was like, you know, this is going to be one of them ones where you'll get the chop after about 10 games, but they are unbeaten in nine. And yeah. they've, they've done very well in those nine games. And, and um, they've got to be looked at as a threat. Um, I'm a little bit apprehensive going into Saturday's game. But that said, Reading have got to come to the den. They're going to have a crowd that know the situation against them. Um, and there's one thing you want when, you know, your back's to the ball. There's a move crowd behind you because they'll get the full full force. And um, Billy Mitchell will get full full backing. So, you know, I, I think I'd still sooner be in our position than in Reading's position. The Millwall Chimes, as I call it. The Millwall Chimes. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a funny one, aren't they, Reading? They, they, they've brought in some some players on, on big money. Again, as usual, as a lot of championship clubs are doing, they've got Chinese owners looking to sort of um, push them into into the Premier, Premier League promised land. Um, yeah. You know, they've got George Puskas, the, the, the well-named George Puskas. Uh, no relation to Ferenc, but he, he's... Good player from them. Uh, they signed him, signed him from Palermo. He was uh, part of Inter Milan as well. I can't remember if it was some one of them sort of co-chair agreements. You know, Inter Milan and Palermo have sort of equal rights. But they've got him in attack. Uh, there was one more player. Yaku Mate is a good player for them. Charlie Adam is is having a bit of a renaissance at 34, and he's um, he's bossing the midfield for him. He's doing very 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 well for him in the midfield. So um, he's definitely one to look out for. Um, Elsewhere, and um, some news that broke today on uh, a former Millwall player, chaps. Jordan Archer has signed for Fulham uh, on yeah. a, to the end of the season with the option for the club to extend to the end of next season. Uh, released by Oxford, signed by Fulham. I, I, I think everyone was confused when I when I mentioned this earlier. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish Jordan Archer well. I, I don't have the visceral kind of feelings towards him that many around the Millwall scene, including our own dear Harry. I know you'll be listening, Harry. Um, I, I, don't, I don't share the, um, the, you know, the same kind of um, feelings towards Jordan. I actually do wish him well. Um, it's an odd move. An odd move from the Fulham perspective. I, I think that they, they, they must see something worth nurturing. And I think in fairness to Jordan, when he was at his best for the Lions, you could see why they would go for him. Obviously, we only tend to judge by what you did most recently. And, and Jordan went... Badly, badly off the boil. So it's an interesting move by Fulham. Um, did you say that their, their first choice keeper is Bettinelli, um, Aaron? Well, no, no. Their first choice keeper is Marek Rodak, who's um, Rodak. Come, to, Rodak. Come, through the, uh, come through the academy there. They have Bettinelli. I mean, this guy, I don't know what he does. He, he, he always starts as a number two, ends up becoming a number one and then gets dropped again. It's happened like three times. It's happened the third time. And now Bettinelli wants out. So I think everyone's expecting Bettinelli to move on. West Ham were interested in Bettinelli. Um, right. Resigned Dan Randolph. But yeah, they expect Bettinelli to move on. So Jordan is joining as number two there, basically. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a good move, isn't it? In truth. I mean, let's be honest. Like when, when he left Millwall, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, 
Millwall's like the sort of greatest club ever by any means. I mean, to us it is, but to others it isn't. But when he left Millwall, everyone was like, well, he's finished. You know, and it took him a long time. To, in, in the football world, it took him a long time to get a club. Mm-hmm. When he did get a club, it was emergency cover for... I know they're doing well, Oxford, but you can argue they're punching above their weight should they be that high in League One. Then it didn't work out and he, locked, he got let go after a month. And again, you ask questions why, considering he was starting games. And now he's at, now he's at Fulham. Can can we see this? Is, is there a question? This could be a poll for your Twitter, Nick, that normally uh, sparks controversy. Could he be like a sort of goalkeeping version of Lewis Graben? That unfortunately, you know, we we saw that potential. He showed moments of his potential. It all went a bit peaked on. And now he's probably going to end up going to Fulham, get promoted and be their first choice keeper in the Premier League. I wish Jordan well. And I, I think it's a confidence issue. I don't think that then is an easy place to be when you're quite publicly going through um, a failure of, of, of self-confidence, and that's what I think we saw with Jordan Archer. Um, there are certain aspects to his game that probably need to be developed, maybe with good quality coaches. I'm sure Fulham will have some of the best coaches in the, in the division to work with him and help erode the, the, the bad habits that maybe have crept into his game. Maybe he can get back to his former his, his former heights. And, he, and don't forget, he did come from Spurs. He, he was, he was you know, he's, he's got some track record for us. He was a decent, decent goalkeeper um, for some time. It just goes, it's when it goes off the ball. People forget the, the good stuff and, and then you think of the bad. So people are out there are, are, are wishing with all their um, all, all their genies in their lamps that the Jordan Archer is in goal when we play for them next. And <laughs> 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 maybe, I don't know. You, maybe, you know, maybe, Harry's just been sat there, haven't you, for hours. <laughs> please, <laughs> please put him in goal. <laughs> Harry will be the least of your worries, Jordan, if you're listening. It, it, there will be lots and lots of people wanting that, but I don't think that's going to be good for your recovery, mate. So it might be a good day to get the, get the flu for that one match, at least. I don't know. Definitely. Uh, let's pick up on... Um, Jake Cooper, I know we touched on uh, Billy Mitchell, Jake Cooper's uh, being vocal on him, according to uh, John Kelly and Music. Then um, elsewhere, Jake Cooper's been talking quite well about Gary Rowett and um, talking about the sort of mentality in, in camp. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to read this stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, you expect the squad to back each other. He's got nice, kind words about Billy Mitchell. He's backing him, as, as Music then say, to plug that gap in midfield, which is what we've just been talking about. Um, but also, he's, he's, he's talking about Rowett, the Rowett revolution, as, as we've come <clears> to call it. Um, and I think probably the biggest thing, goes back to what you said at the start of the conversation, Aaron, the the ambition that he's, he's shown, brought into the into the squad, the fact that we're looking upwards and there's no more talk about, um, you know, survival in or being in the relegation zone. And I think probably, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, Michael, I think possibly that's the biggest criticism in retrospect with Neil Harris once we achieved championship status was this slight sense of um, feeling like we're a, we're a country cousin that's got into the big city somehow, you know, that we shouldn't quite be there. We should be grateful yeah. we're going to be in, in this company. And that seems to have gone out the window completely. And I think that's, that's the railway revolution in a nutshell, the fact that we now... Think of ourselves, as Aaron said at the start of this show, as a team that could go or should go to places and get three points. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, there's there's sort of positive thinking and, you know, the sort of like having belief in your players, but like really sort of publicly having it as well is, is a completely different matter. I mean, I'm not sure if it was on um, last week's show or a show a couple of weeks ago that you guys did when someone said that, uh, I mean, full credit to Neil Harris, he done a great job and, you know, we always stand uh, a little bit repetitive with this, but 
I remember someone saying on one of your shows that, you know, Neil Harris would sort of turn up at turn up at a ground and like you say, would go to somewhere like Derby, where he was the other week and against Stoke and go, oh, we'll be lucky if we get a one all here. Or he'd give off that mentality and you'd be looking at it like you were saying, Aaron, at the start of the show and think, well, why can't you get that, that win? Why can't you get that three points? And it, it just it just feels refreshing now when Millwall were always, as you say, Nick, not not great at being away and having this underdog status to now actually go into these places and think, do you know what? We might actually get something here and we might actually get a decent result and we can start looking up for once. Because you know, probably as well as we all know with Neil Harris, that even when we were mid-table, he, uh, he would have been looking behind his shoulder. He would have been sort of thinking about that trapdoor a little bit. But I remember an interview with Gary Rowett. I think it was on the club's Twitter page or, or or somewhere or on Instagram or something like that, where he basically said, I'm not even looking behind me. I'm not looking behind me anymore. I'm looking up. And you think, what a refreshing thing to hear. And if that's rubbing off on all the players, then, yeah, you can, you can see it the way they're playing. Jake Cooper running down the left wing and crossing balls in. He never would have done that before. No, I think, I mean, it's an interesting. There's, on this subject, uh, Jed Wallace has also... Uh, given an interview to News at Den, where he speaks about um, the the Rowett mentality, as he calls it here, which is, again, in a in a in a sentence, it's it's almost playing without fear. That obviously you can't risk take too much, but there's a kind of a, um, a you know a qualified acceptance that risks will be taken. Sometimes those risks will go against you, as we saw mm. in the last minute v Barnsley at home, where we you know Jed gave away the ball and and um, the rest is history. But I think that it's interesting that Gary Rowett, who was a defender, I think, by trade as a player, but did play in the Premier League and went to some of these big places where, you know, uh, the mentality that we had is that we probably didn't be gone or uh, didn't belong and we should be slightly grateful for being there. Whereas Neil Harris as a player um, only played in the Championship and... Uh, lower levels, you know, it, it was a Millwall yeah. player basically, and yeah. I do wonder whether there's a slight, um, whether you know that comes through in the in management that you know having played at the highest level in 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 the English game, that you you don't have the fear of it or you you, you feel that you do belong because you've played there already and you you tackled these players that are the the big names of the game. You know what I mean? It's it's um oh, what's the word I'm searching for? It's, it's like you you you're, you're humble when you you should be walking around with your head up high, you know, it's it's the old Cantona, the Eric Cantona look where he was the king of the pitch because, he, you know, he conducted himself in that way. He strode the pitch. Whereas mm. I think sometimes Neil Harris fell into a trap of putting us down slightly. And I think that the, the, the club has responded to this new approach. Well, one thing I like about Gary Rowett as well, sorry to throw you off there, Nick, is that uh, yeah. re- recently in recent games, you know, it sort of seems to be that sort of classic, oh, Gary Rowett's going back to his former club. Gary Rowett, like, you know, a lot of people going, oh, so what do you think of the reception you got from Derby? What do you think of the reception you got from Stoke? He doesn't seem to let that phase him. You he know, does where... not, He does not give a shit. I mean, I'll just... Yeah, exactly. That, that, that very exactly. They're, they're chanting at him, Stoke fans, mm. Gary Rowett, your football is shit. I don't know what football they've been brought up on, Aaron, is it? I mean, they're, they're, let's be fair, on, on the fucking... On, on the Pulis, they played rugby. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, this, if you're singing your footballish shit, then you can only really sing that if you are following the very finest definers you know, at Bayern, Bayern Munich and the Pep. You, you, uh, so, you, so you get Mark Hughes as your manager and sign a couple of Barcelona rejects, and you think, you know, you are Barcelona. Come on, man. Know your station. Know your place. Absolutely. Know your place. It's, uh, I, anyway, I mean, but my point being that he's, he's gone, they've asked this specific point, did you enjoy going back to Stoke? Um, a slight sense of ho, ho, ho in that question. And he said, no, I don't know more than the other place it's 
I think for Gary Rowe, it, it is just a job. And the, yeah, thing, the, thing, the thing we've always had, Michael, um, at Millwall, always this, this desire that we have for you've got to be Mill through and through, cut the cut you and you bleed blue, you know, right down the middle, like a stick of rock, Millwall all the way down. And that's fine and dandy amongst fans. But I think in the manager, we've got a really quite pleasing neutrality because I think he does see it as a job, but a job that he wants to succeed at. And he'll, you know, he doesn't seem to bring that um, uh, that, that same kind of emotional quality that, that maybe has hindered us a little bit at times. I think it's quite an interesting approach. It's, it clearly didn't bother him going back to Stoke and having the, uh, the you know, the, the piss taken. I mean, he, and he handled it quite well reading the interview. And the thing is, as well, with that, it's like like you were saying that, again, this 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 is not a Neil Harris bash. Do not get me wrong. And I never will. But if you looked at when Millwall were about to play Cardiff, you know, it was all very much like, oh, I'm, I know the focus will be on me because I was the ex-manager. I know the focus will be on me because I was the ex-record goal scorer and all this. And that when Neil Harris was in a press conference, if you again, you translate to Rowett, Rowett just like, I don't give a shit. Yes, I managed there. What's your point? Mm. And, but you, more importantly, you can also see as well with, like the way he reacts on the bench and the way he reacts to decisions and things like that and the chance. Like Derby away a few weeks ago, like they're giving all the old Gary Rowett your shit and all this, yada, yada, yada. He's, he's not flinched. He's not moved. He's not asked his players to get more fired up than they normally would be. He's not tried to prove a point. Again, I wasn't at the Stoke game, Aaron, but did you see anything from Gary Rowett that made you think that he really, really wants to win this one because it's Stoke, because it's an old team? As 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 Sal Tessio once said in The Godfather, it's only business. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know, I think that's what he is. He's he, he's a he's a businessman. It's he's he's coming in there. He's um he's going in. He's going to do the bizzo. And and as I mentioned, you know, the first. First game he did, uh, which ironically was Stoke, Nathan Jones's loss. It's very weird how these things sort of formulate into patterns. This it could be a mutually beneficial partnership for the club and for Gary Rowett. Millwall needs someone to take them up and sort of just take them up to the next level. Gary Rowett needs to build his profile again because let's be exactly yeah. it's it's been knocked. So this is this is a really good little thing they've got going on. It's a really good thing they've got going on, and and sort of long mate continue shouts. Yeah, I, I agree, and um, it's it's rather run Millwall because we tend to want these kind of um, you've got to love the club, you know, it's, it's like marriage, you know, you've got to be kind of until um, death is too part almost. But it's 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 a very interesting position that we're in. I think he is clearly a a manager with some tactical nous. He's shown that a few times since he's come to us. The results do their own talking, and and so does the league table. So, you know, long may it continue. I think Saturday's going to be a, a it's going to be a Sudoku problem at the, uh, the at the highest level for him. So let's see what what he produces out of that. Because it's going to be a, it's probably the toughest test in some ways for since he started. But um, he certainly seems to be up to it, and um, you know, precisely what we've needed as as we said a few times. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, uh, moving on along the uh, the digital, the e-running order. We haven't quite got to our random topic of the week. No. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Jason McCarthy very quickly. Props to Harold Warren because he predicted it. Oh, no, was it Mike Hayden? Oh, sorry, Harold. Michael Hayden. Michael Hayden. It was Scalak who predicted it. But it seems as though Jason McCarthy is heading for a loan-based exit. Yeah. um, I mean, Mike called it right, I thought, on last week's show. Um, You know, we we haven't seen much of McCarthy in all fairness, but um, I think you made the point, Aaron, that, um, you know, he's he's a fairly average right back, probably for uh, League One. I think the talk is of Wickham. He's going to go back to Wickham. I don't know if that's true or not, but that would seem to me to be about right. He came from Wickham originally, and it seems to be quite a a nice nurturing little environment there for for fairly average players to, to do quite well at. And I think that's probably... Where where McCarthy sits, um, you know, I've only seen him the once. He was he was okay, but no 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 great shakes. I certainly don't see him fitting into the team, so he deserves game time. So you know, if it's up the M4, that's that's great. He was no Ian Dawes, was he? He was no Ian Dawes. I don't. I mean, you know, this is not knocking the man. I I think that he's he is he is who he is. Um, and I think a loan back to Wickham releases a, a spot within our squad. It suits him. And Mike Hayden called it. We're going to get Mike on next week for lottery numbers and possibly even the uh, the winners at the uh, the dog racing as well on on the on the forthcoming Saturday, so that people can get a few quid out of him. So I think he really did call that one right. So well, well, well done, Scalak. One thing you actually fucking done right on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, I bring you in in the summer, and how many games you had? One, two. Useless. Yeah. Harsh, harsh. Do, do you know what as well? Is it like the X Factor? You've done the gold buzzer and put him straight through to the final before we could audition him properly. And look what he's done. But yeah, no. Do you know what? I, how I look at it, chaps, is if he was that good, and even if he was championship level, Southampton would have kept him. They would have. Yeah, I... they wouldn't let. They don't let their academy prospects just disappear like that. They would have kept him, and they let him go. And and it sort of. Um, it, it, it tells uh, it tells the tale. Uh, Bart, let's go on to the Bart man and, and the goalkeeping department. Frank Fielding is back. Frankie Fielding is back, which is good because um, 
he, everyone, I mean, I've, I've only seen him for about 20 minutes or so. It was at the opening game of the, the, the season when he got injured and went left. And then since then, it's been the Bart Bielkowski show ever since. So um, I understand that he's a decent goalkeeper, Frank Fielding. Um, certainly with Bart in place, I don't think it's going to shift him out of that num- number one spot. But um, to have Fielding sat on the bench is a, is a reassuring thing. So um, Luke Steele apparently has gone back to, to Nottingham Forest. Um, Oh, is that confirmed? Well, I think he's, the the, the uh, talk is that Fielding has returned and Luke still will go as soon as he's um, you know physically deemed fit enough to to play the number two role. So um, Luke Steele, if he does go, is there's a, there's a character in Catch Twenty Two. I don't know if anyone's ever read Catch Twenty Two, but there's a is it? Um, I can't remember who it is. There's there's a, there's a soldier you never meet because he's dead by the time the book starts, and he's, he was never there. But his bed exists and all of his stuff, but he, you never get to meet him. And that's a bit like Luke Steele. He, he was here, but he was never here. We never saw him, or it was just a name on the bench, and then he'll be gone. So it's that kind of Catch Twenty Two. Uh, quality. I'll, I'll have to look up the character listeners and I'll post it separately because I know you like to keep him, you know, in the loop on these things. Um, but no, good news that Frank Fielding's come back and good news that Bart Bielkowski has given an emphatic answer, Aaron, to whether he wants to sign a permanent Millwall contract. And that, <laughs> that emphatic answer is yeah, whatever yes is in Polish. Yeah. Whatever oh. what is it in Polish? We, we need to know these things. It's tak. Tak. T-A-K. He, he says tuck. There you go. There Which you is go. great news. I mean, he's been uh, a real yeah, no, standout he, goalkeeper. He's a very good goalkeeper. Really, really good keeper. And uh, it'd be good to see him stick around. I think um, as soon as we was uh, looking at signing him, we should have just tried to make it permanent anyway. I know that we had all that issue with his medical and, you know, we was waiting, obviously, to see what happened with that after the loan. But he is just an absolute touch of class. And he's going to be a player who... It's more than likely going to be another goalkeeper who wins Millwall's Player of the Season, I think, because he's just yeah. been phenomenal. And he seems happy. I think when he's, he's a, yeah, like anyone, and this state the obvious, but when when Bart Bielkowski is a happy player, I think you'll get ten times the goalkeeper than if he's not happy. And you know, he seems very very happy at the den. So some players prosper at Millwall, some some don't, as as, as we've discussed, Jordan Archer already, and others, Lewis Graben and, and, and others. So, But Bart does seem to be someone that, that likes it and prospers. Let's move on now uh, to another sort of uh, a rumour, well, a victim of the transfer rumour mill, a vicious set of rumours that saw Jed Wallace be linked to Aston Villa basically every other day. Um, let me just uh, reiterate, I, I was watching Dean Smith's press conference earlier on, uh, the Aston Villa manager, after they were dicked 6-1 by Man City on Sunday. Um, and, and he's complaining about not having any strikers. I mean, basically every other question was, um, you know, you know, how do you, how do you think you're going to get on? He goes, well, we ain't got no recognised strikers, so, you know. He's like, cool, yeah, great. So, um, basically, I Where's he from then? You do a very good. You do a very good brum brummy accent there, and I'll tell you that much. Cheers, mate. Uh, yeah, there was. I did get to. I did get to spend a lot of time with Dean. So, um, he's he's sort of forgotten. John, they've got Jonathan Codger. Do you remember him lurking oh, around? Yeah. But, um, yeah. It seems that Jed's off their radar because when asked if they're looking at anything apart from a striker, he goes, "No, we're not. Just want a striker. That's it." So, yeah, I reckon Jed's in a stay. It'd be great if he stays. I, I, I mean, I, that that would be some of the best news we've had in a long time. And you know, it is this cliche of signing Bart like being a, a, a signing. You know, or, and Jed staying will be another signing in that in that sense. And 
you know, if we can combine that with the return of Ben Thompson, then anything's possible the last few months of the season. I, I think that um, I, I always wondered whether Jed was the answer to Aston Villa's problems. Really, I mean. You know, we we made the point last week as to as to how the, the Villa fans would feel if they signed Jed. I mean, they would probably see it as as um, down. What's the word? Not down trading, but they're certainly, you know, downsizing in a sense. And um, they probably won't be wanting to acquire a more established, more well-known attacking presence. But that doesn't. I don't mean that to knock Jed. I just wonder whether they would see him as as an adequate um, step in if if Grealish were to move on. But um, Great news from our point of view if he does stay. And I think you could be right, Alan. I think that, you know, there seems to be no talk of him going at all now. So long may that continue. I, I mean, look, look, at, look at the knock-ons. I don't think, I don't think Grealish is going anywhere, anywhere in this window. And so I don't think Villa will sign him. Although they have agreed a deal to sign the Tanzanian striker, Mabwana Samata, uh, for £10 million from Genk. No. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't see them. I cannot see them coming in for Jed uh, unless it's a, a late doors deadline day thing where they are desperate upon desperate. Although, do you know what? If I was Millwall, I'd turn around to Villa and inquire about Codra and go, hey, what's the situation with him? He's mm. a bad player for at this level, you know? You know, anything's possible. What's the date now? So we're halfway through January, so mm. it's been a fairly quiet first couple of weeks of the window. We've all been looking forward to this window all, all season. Uh, and now it's here and it's like nothing's happening. And, um, you know, Maybe it'll get busier now. Maybe these kinds of deals that you just talked about there will be come onto the horizon. I don't know. But if we can retain our basic squad and maybe, you know, if we need a midfielder, bring one in, I, I, we'll see. Then, you know, it's going to be a very interesting February and March because there's a lot of points to be played for. And um, as we've shown with a bit of bit of um, intelligent management, we're as good as anyone in, in, the, in the division. Achtung, Achtung. You are listening to the Real Millwall fan show. Yeah, just under two, uh, just over two weeks away from uh, Jim, uh, Jim, 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 what's his name from Talksport and the Nate of all nights. Jim White. That's not Jim White. Yeah. Uh, uh, I wonder if producer Joe's in on that as well. We'll, 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 see. we'll more, see. More than likely. More than likely. Tom Lawrence. Nice <laughs> uh, uh, next on the agenda. Have we come to our random topic of the week? Yeah. Well, M- Michael wanted to mention VAR, and I thought I'd, I'd put it into VAR. So I thought if we do VAR for Michael, and then we can come on to shitty goal celebrations, mm-hmm. can't we? Yes. My- so the Michael- rest of the fan base that like me, you won't like me after this. Um, <laughs> uh, we was having an interesting discussion at the weekend, lads, in our little chat about the, uh, the VAR and how everyone hates it and how it's ruining football, yada, yada, yada. But I... Uh, yes, it's ruining the flow of the game and it's taken a long while to make the decisions. But And I'm not saying this because with a Millwall hat on and it was West Ham and causing arguments and all that malarkey. But with the decision that weren't given for the handball, I can't see what the argument was about if there is a rule in place that says if an accidental handball leading up to a goal in the box occurs, it is still deemed as handball and therefore a penalty. Why is there now the complaint? Now, I, I believe who who was it who handled the ball? Declan Rice was it, or he was the one who scored? I think it was Rice in the very last yeah. seconds of um, yeah. And, and it, so he he sort of said, "Well, it was my running action. What was I meant to do, or something like that?" Or people are saying he was pushed onto the ball and he handballed it. That's still accidental handball, Declan. Therefore, it is a rule. You've handballed it in the box, 
and it is therefore got to be disallowed. Now, last season, correct me if I'm wrong, when Jake Cooper scored a goal with an with a accidental handball, everyone in Bermondsey thought it was brilliant, obviously, with a Neil Harris turn the screen off. Everyone around football saying goals like that can't determine games. Goals like that can't determine cup ties. Goals like that can't determine games that have got a lot on the line. Now, the division that argued that last season is now arguing against it, even though it was arguably them that brought that rule in. So you're in favour of VAR? You, you like VAR? Or is there any criticism you'd make of it as it is at the moment? Because my criticism largely rests on how it's implemented as much as the principle. Um, although I, I think the principle of it, once you've accepted that technology has a part to play in a game of football, then the, the logic of that takes you to where we are now, in a sense, that every last decision is subjected to... Um, I always picture them like accountants, you know, in the, 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 of um, auditors or something, going for every last moment of the game to find whether that foot was just an inch in front of somebody else's foot on the other side of the pitch. Um, but if you accept that technology has a role to play, then the logic of it takes you to where VAR is now. The only criticism, therefore, if you accept technology, which um, I do in the sense of the ball crossing the line for a goal, I like that. Beyond that, you have a principle as to whether the referee is the final arbiter of the game, full stop, mistakes and all, as it's been ever since the game was first played. Um, as soon as you have any kind of external judgment, which is what we have now, then the referee is no more than, um, is, is almost advisory in a sense, because ultimately the decision could be taken by somebody else somewhere else. Uh, and I think that destroys the spirit and heart of the game. But um Going back to your incident on on, on Sunday, uh, I think he controlled the handball about halfway inside the Southampton half. It hit his arm and went forwards, leading to the chance through on goal, which led to a goal which was then disallowed by the um, by the sneaks in the, in, in Stuckley Park. At heart, I I don't think you probably can't stop this. Much as um, there's a Luddite part of me that wants to smash up the um, the technology, I know it can't be done. But in the end, you have to get these decisions made very, very quickly. And that's what's not happening because it's it's killing the spirit of the game. Although it's great to see West Ham have a goal taken away from them. Um, yeah. My, it kill, kills the moment, doesn't it? It kills the moment. Yeah. With with VAR for me, now, I, I, I totally get what you're saying with the whole, you know, the referee's word is sort of final, if you will. And, um, and you know, we have to accept it, mistakes and all. That's totally fine if the players and pundits accepted that the ref can make mistakes. Because all we've had for seasons and seasons is, oh, he didn't get that offside right. You know, the Thierry Henry handball, I know that's an extreme case against the Republic of Ireland, or or these kind of dodgy tackles that the ref gives a yellow card and not the red card. But if you want to go back to a way where the referee has ultimate say, you can't scream in his face or do that stupid hold up your fingers to show how much you think you was onside. You let mm. the decision go. You, you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't have, well, let's give all the power back to the referee, but I'm still going to scream in his face because I think I'm right. So the, 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 the problem, I'm just reading, as we're talking, I'm just reading the Wikipedia article on video-assisted ref, referee. Um, and the International Football Association Board, the, the, the rules governing body, um, operates VAR, and this is a quote, with minimal, its aim is to be minimal interference, comma, maximum benefit. Um, and the system seeks to provide a way for, quote, clear and obvious errors and, quote, serious missed incidents to be corrected. Now, the, the, the operative word being clear and obvious and serious, in my opinion, um, because what's happening and the logic of having a video 
screen somewhere else that will review every last millimeter is that you are you're you are you're not looking for you're looking for any kind of incident at all yeah, rather than serious obvious, yeah. or clear and obvious now you know we've all seen um offsides in with var where they've got this kind of on-screen line that works out whether your nose is in front of my little finger and therefore i'm onside or you're onside as the case may be but that to me is not is not what this should be. It should be about major serious misincidents. Now, in those those kind of situations where you've got one toenail in front of another, I'd say that's that's within a margin of being level, and level is onside. Therefore, you shouldn't be checking it. In the, beyond the most cursory look in the moment, just in the immediate aftermath of the goal being scored, does he look on level? He does look level. That's a goal. Go with it. But what happens is you get some minutes being taken up while somebody else something some far-flung place reviews it and finds that actually um you know part part of one body was marginally in front of another finished in conclusion from me i wouldn't say i'm a huge fan of the ar however i think that it has been getting decisions right which last year as i said to um, between us once that alan Shearer and alan hansen would be screaming about on match of the day you know oh, he's, he's, he's half a yard offside there and i can't believe the linesman didn't give it do you like it aaron VAR? Oh, you're against it? You're for it? What's... Fed up of it. It just does my head in every week. Genuinely does my absolute nothing. It's just, it's not being applied properly, is it? It's not being utilised no, no, properly no. at all. You know, and we're, we're getting, you know, something where, you know, some someone walks on the pitch after, you know, reading a dirty mag, gets himself a, a hard semi on and, and job done. He's offside. <laughs> I think we should move move on to shitty goal celebrations without forward our minds. Well, that's the thing. Are we looking at goal celebrations being eradicated because of VAR? And uh, who who brought up the topic this week, Nick? Um, for a a tweet from Ian Cleverly. Um, uh, uh, he's on Twitter, and he's he's asked, uh, "Have you discussed shitty goal celebrations at all?" Uh, Ian can't stand the knee skid, the the the, the goal score goal, and then you do a knee skid, which he, he says is muggy. Also, over exuberant penalty celebrations, mate. You've just had a free shot from twelve yards. Wind it in, says Ian. So this this led to a little bit of conversation online as to personal uh, hates and um, you know dislikes in the in the goal celebration scene, and um, everyone had a viewpoint. And so as as it's um, Aaron. Michael and myself this week. We've asked for Mike, Harry and Ryan to do a little bit of a pre-recorded piece for us on their own uh, dislikes in the goal celebration scene. So shall we run that now and we can come back after? Yeah, run the track. Yeah, shitty or wanky goal celebrations. Um, For me, shitty or wanky goal celebrations, I mean, not sure on if anyone else has picked up on this one. I remember that Gillingham used to have a particularly shitty goal music, which I don't know if I've kind of concocted that in my brain as some kind of weird fever dream, where basically they played the jewels are going to get you, or something like that. Anyway, a fucking weird thing. Wanky goal celebrations. Um, Michael probably would have had Lee Hughes with the backstroke weird thing. Anyone that's been accused or convicted of a crime celebrating against Millwall is quite strange. Also, Kim Kale's goal for Everton against us was weird because he didn't celebrate it. It's kind of like, doesn't really know what to do. He doesn't know if he's to celebrate or not to celebrate. It's kind of shitty. 
I'd rather him have done actually celebrated in a weird way. Um, although I suppose he used to be respected because he didn't celebrate. Um, but yeah, shit, it's just all that bollocks. It's just all fucking. I, I, I hate the shushing of the crowd. I hate the shushing of the crowd. The shushing of the crowd is pretending that it doesn't bother me when it really does. Obviously, it must bother you for you to react. That is the whole. Yes, you have scored a goal, but if you are a striker, you've just done your job. You haven't scored a hat trick. The only time you should shush the crowd is if you score fucking three absolute worldies from outside the area. You're playing Millwall probably at home or Millwall at the den, and you're celebrating in front of best part of, let's say, in some of our shitter periods over the last 10 to 15 years in front of 8,000 Millwall on a Tuesday night, shushing me when we haven't won since the Boer War on a Tuesday night when playing for Northampton Town isn't really fucking going to cut the mustard, shall I say. So, yeah, that's my little opinion on shitty slash wanky goal celebrations. See you all soon. Hello, Ryan here weighing in on the worst celebrations of all time. Um, I have to say, celebrate how you want. Not a lot of them bother me. I think uh, most celebrations are by the by, you know. Most fans are busy celebrating the goal themselves. There's not a lot of attention paid. It's the kind of social media age really that's brought celebrations into such focus now i think if you look back through history most of the best celebrations are you know they're ones with context that uh, are making a point like of the the ones that i've been thinking of you think of the lewis suarez dive against everton where he ran and dived in front of david moyes because of the comments he made or adebayor running the length of the pitch to celebrate in the arsenal fans um after the abuse they gave him you know those ones that stand out for me because of the context because of the kind of emotion involved with them. The ones that I think are the worst are the ones that are just corporate, fake, rubbish, really. Um, certain players do recurring ones. Luis Suarez kisses his fingers. Gareth Bale does a heart, and they're all for personal reasons. Jesse Lingard, that comes to the top of my mind, does his JL fingers, which is just something that is intrinsically linked with his clothing brand. And you have to ask yourself, if you're scoring a goal in a big match and your first thought is, I better do the brand sign just to raise awareness, that's rubbish for me. It smacks of uh, Andy Murray grabbing his Rolex out of the bag just after winning Wimbledon. You should be in the moment. You should be happy that you scored a goal. Instead, you're thinking of your brand market value. And it's, it's just so tepid and speaks to modern football. I think, actually, Tim Cahill is one of the worst examples of it. He used to add two... Famous celebrations, the whipping the shirt off over his head and the boxing, the corner flag. When he was in Japan, there was a big story. He did an airplane celebration after signing a deal with either an Australian or a Japanese airline. And that is just awful. You're doing a specific celebration because it's going to get you some money because of a deal you've signed. And that's just not what football's about. The other one that I consider the worst is no celebration against a former team. I mean... Unless, in very specific circumstances, if you've played 200 games for a club and you've left because you're ageing and you go back and you happen to score against them, fine. But most of the time, that's not the case. It's someone who's played a season or two, the fans like them. But players leave, that's what happens in football. You've left for a reason. If Lee Gregory had scored against Millwall last weekend when we played Stoke, why wouldn't he celebrate? He plays for Stoke. Okay, he gave Millwall a good few years, but... He's a Stoke player now. He's helped his team. The whole not celebrating is, again, just a fake emotion that you players feel like they have to do because it's right. 
And it's just one that winds me up. If you score a goal, celebrate a goal. And I think that's my opinion on the matter. Hello, listeners. Uh, before I get started on my worst goal celebration nomination, uh, I'd like to quickly mention Lucas Ball, who is probably listening. Lucas, please turn this show off and concentrate on your essay. That thing won't write itself, mate. But when it comes to shit celebrations, I think of one thing, acrobatics. Uh, they don't belong on a football pitch. They belong in a gymnasium on trampolines and bolting boxes. A footballer usually receives a lot of attention for scoring a goal, 30,000 people cheering and chanting their name. There is no need to do 15 front flips, two handstands and a roly-poly to celebrate. It impresses nobody. In fact, I'd probably boo it if I saw it. There have been unfortunate incidents doing acrobatic celebrations. Poor old Lomana Luar Luar, remember the name, uh, equalising for Portsmouth against Arsenal in 2006. Which actually, which was a very routine header, then followed an audacious celebration where he ran and backflipped towards the Portsmouth fans like an absolute muppet. Unfortunately for Paul Lomana, he landed awkwardly and rolled his ankle uh, to Harry Redknapp's dismay and was substituted directly after the goal. Justice, in my opinion, was served. Achtung, Milbein. All good stuff. I mean, I think probably everyone's gone for the the fairly obvious ones. Uh, my, my own personal hating is quite an odd one in a way. And I accept that it's irrational, but I, I always hated that baby rocking thing that the, oh, was it the Be- baby? Bebeto, was it Bebeto did this in, well, was, it, was it the 94 World Cup? The Be- Brazilian? Cleverson 2003. Rocking the baby. I don't know why I hate it. Maybe it's because it started this <clears throat> America. It was done in America, wasn't it? And it was done for TV and it just kind of created this whole <laughs> artificial world of false overblown goal celebrations um so i i i've never liked that one but i accept that's an irrational one not to like there was a lot See, worse examples out there for me it's anything by jesse lingard i cannot stand <laughs> like are you are you proud of yourself are you actually proud of yourself that is so embarrassing doing all these little dancing him, Paul Pogba with that funny arm thing that all the kids do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on, man. Come on. You know what? Be modest. Be like Paul Scholes. Score a screamer from 40 yards out. Just put your hands up and go, cheers, guys, and see you later. That's it. Hey, well, you, you had one, Michael. You, you you weren't going down the glamour route. You were going down a very different, grit, grittier route, weren't you, on your choice? I've gone for the Alan Shearer. Arm up. Just run. You don't like it. Oh no, I do like that one. I like that one. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say the, say the Lee Hughes. I wasn't a fan of that one. The jig. That was the monkey one. He did like a monkey dance, didn't he? Whenever he scored. Yeah. Especially when he scored against us. Yeah, well, he was one of those players, the more abuse he got, and the more he did that monkey dance, the more abuse he got. He he seemed to feed off the the hate energy of of the den, you know. One thing that really struck me, and I I did, did a little bit of research, and I, I really don't want to sound like an old git. You know, you know me, boys, don't you? I, I, I like to yeah, back myself. <laughs> um, but it, I, I, I took a look at some of the, what I call the masters of the game. And by masters, I'm talking about George Best, Pele and Johan Cruyff. And if you look at any of the reels of the, the classics, you know, any, any of those players, it's remarkable how restrained the celebrations were. I mean, Best would sail through slalom through somebody's defence, score a brilliant goal that's out of the, the very top drawer and then basically run back with a couple of handshakes back to, and he'd be running back to the halfway line as, <laughs> as he's put it in the net. <laughs> maybe someone would pat him on, Bobby oh Shaw, pat him God. on the back and there'd be a couple of handshakes, well done George, you know, that, 
you've just destroyed um, whoever, Real Madrid or, or, or Northampton Town, as the case may be. They're the best ones. They're the best but, ones. You know, you, we're about to win a trophy. Well done, old boy. Well done. Yeah. Um, um, Harry touched us in, in his little piece, and I think it's right that that was that sense of job done. It was a job, and Jules Best, for me, the greatest player I ever saw physically. But it was he scored a fantastic goal, shake hands and back and reformed back for a kickoff quite quickly. The the just as an aside, I, I mentioned it a lot, and this is where I'm wary of repeating myself as I get older, chaps. But I hate the length of time it takes to reform after a goal. Now, I mean, there's there's got to be a bobbing of the goal score. You've got to go and do your little um, cup your hands to your ears or or whatever you're doing. And it's got to take about a minute from scoring a goal to get back into your own half ready to kick off again. I, and... love, I love a good goal celebration. Do you? Like, yeah. Right. So um, a few, a few just, just to note, just to note. I mean, I, who, who was it who didn't like the skid? Was it? Um, well, Ian Cleverly, that guy. Muggy. Muggy. It's See, he, muggy. he said that. But I'll tell you what, Wayne Rooney, when he scored against Arsenal to end their run at 49... And he skidded. He didn't skid on his front, though. He skidded on his arse. And his shorts <laughs> jacked up so high, you thought they were going to burst at the seams. Because he was carrying a bit of timber then, young Wazza. He was about 18, 19. He was still on the old um, the old Budweiser's of an evening. And you looked at his shorts. And just look at his thighs. I'll find a picture. If anyone wants it, tweet us. I'll find you a picture of his thighs. They are enormous. And literally, you're like, what are they? But then you look at some of the classics. I think back to Giggsy against Arsenal, where you just see that massive... Waving the, the shirt, yeah. The massive mop of chest there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gaza, Euro 96. The dentist, the dentist chair. chair. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, Eric Cantona on his return against Liverpool after the, the band, the Crystal Palace band, and he went and pole danced on a stanchion. Oh, my. Wow. Just Who like... was the, the United player? Lee, Lee, who did that? The Lee Sh- Sharpie Sharpie. Lee Sharp. Sharp did the Elvis, Sharpie, Sharpie, yeah, little little dance. But don't forget Lee Trundle at Swansea. He used to do a dance as well, and it was so good that Soccer AM robbed it. Robert Earnshaw used to do the little front flip thing. And do you know what? What I was always impressed about Robert Earnshaw's, I was like, I was like primary going into secondary school. Then he used to do gymnastics in school. How tight he kept his body when he did that front. Very good. <laughs> Very impressive. I'll tell you something. He would have got himself a house point or two doing that. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, for me, obviously it's the Shearer because he's like the sort of my generation, George Best of. I'll just put my hand up and run, you know, like nothing, nothing over the top there. Um, the classic mid nineties Fabrizio Ravinelli shirt over the face. Oh yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah classic yeah. there. Yeah. Also mid nineties, Jurgen Klinsmann front dive. It was like he was like the new Messiah when he did that. No one had ever seen it before, and everyone was trying to copy it. And Roger Miller though. Oh, the um, the dancing around the um, the, the corner flag for Cameroon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. But yeah, I suppose also, also, also yeah. honourable mention. Sorry, honourable mention close to home. The Millwall classic centre forward we had of the mid two thousands, Baz Savage. Any man. <laughs> Any man who can moonwalk in football boots deserves a three-year deal. <laughs> Bass Savage has got the same conversation of Johan Cruyff, Adam Shearer, George Best. Bass Savage. Bass Savage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go, I'm going to get called out now for saying I like someone like Bass you know Savage. What, I mean, a lot of people are talking about Thierry Henry. Um, in fact, Sahel Sai, who's one of my colleagues at Beeb, 
um, who, who said he was Alan Shearer's was basic. He liked it. He said he never liked Thierry Henry. You know that the head nodding. I mean, look, I can agree with you. He was like a cross between you know Frenchman and the Churchill <laughs> fucking dog. And right now, what what annoys me more about Henry is his stupid Renault ads he does on Sky. But that's another conversation for another day. That's but he always one, yeah. used to mix it up. You know, there was a point in time where he'd get you know the vests printed with different messages. You know, you know, un- under his shirt, he used to mix it up. Van Norris. Do you know who was the best, actually? The best was Filippo Inzaghi. Born offside, he'd he'd sprint to the corner, slide, grab onto, like, you know, the girthiest part of the corner flag. (laughs) The girthiest part of the corner flag. And just shake it, just shake his hands, literally as if he was, like, combusting. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Carl Bates has called out the ridiculous high fives of... Tottenham's uh, song, uh, Deli Ali and Harry Kane. Shout out kind of Carlos wit- Bates. Carlos Bates. Um, Martin Joy calls out Robbie Keane's one. The which was was that the, the bow and arrow? Oh, the forward flip. And the forward flip. It was the forward. gun, wasn't it? Or was it the bow and arrow? Oh, okay. it was a gun, wasn't it? It was bang, 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 like the stilero, you know, that kind of idea. <laughs> yeah. um, Jake Watson. Uh, Barber. Barber um, calls out Jesse Lingard. And his, and his J Lings, no explanation is needed. Um, and 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 Jim Neal, the Robbie Keane head over heels. He mentioned I want the Lee Hughes because Lee Hughes is pretty. But I, I I'm with Ed Castle. He says whatever happened to the old fashioned shake of the hands and gentle jog back to the centre circle? Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because if it's good enough for George Best, Aaron, it's got to be good enough for Bass Savage, isn't it? You know, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Achtung, Achtung. You are listening to the Real Milval Fan Show. No, no, no club shop update this week. Uh, no. They're close to restocking, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, close, they're close for an inventory, which should take the best part of about three minutes. Um, but yeah, uh, should we have the predos? Millwall 1, Reading 0. Millwall 2, Reading 1. Uh, Millwall 1, Reading 1. Ooh, tough, yeah, tough going, tough going. It's going to be a tough one, chaps. Um, but yeah, if you're heading to the den, have a good one. If you listen to this on the way to the den, don't forget to stay away from the pies because they're not good at all for your health. Um, elsewhere, chaps, anything else? Any other business? Um, just got our play out music. We're going to try and place this song in the charts if we can. It's the um, it's a dance version, dance with an S version of the um there was, was a viral video doing the rounds i don't know if you saw it, the, the jeddy jeddy wallace um boy singing in front of his computer we've sent it to a bit of a dance track and we're, we're, i think we're hopefully conquering ibiza with this this little oh, number so are we releasing it on um on eight inch seven inch what were we doing let's, let's get the feedback from the from the punters and see if there's a demand for it so Perhaps we play out with it now and listen to um, A and other. I don't know what this is. An anonymous um, found piece of um, music, and it's the Jedi Jedi Wallace song. So thank you, guys. Enjoy on our podcast this week. It's the Jedi Jedi Wallace song. Uh, until next week. Bye for now. Fuck off, Pompey, and fuck off, Wolves, because we've got Jedi Wallace. Mug off your team and put it into the net. We've got Jedi Wallace. Front of the way fans, you don't give a fuck. Cause we've got Jedi Wallace. World class players gonna take us to the top. Cause we've got Jedi Wallace. Na 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 na.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.